I want to begin by sort of re-remembering, if that's a word, and I think it is because Roger Clemens said it one time, so it must be okay, um, and, and, and to, to re-remember the uh, verse of the year that we had, which was, um, he must become greater, I must become less. And that verse, one of the reasons we decided on that verse is because we really need to emphasize and maybe just sort of be reminded over and over and over again of how important it is that it's not about me, but it's really about my Lord. It's, it's about honoring Him. It's not about me. And I don't know about you. I need that remembrance. I need that reminder a lot because it doesn't take much. It doesn't take many tweaks here, many tweaks here to think, oh, man, look at my situation. Dang it, look what's happening to me. You know, and, and it, it, by the way, the same, ver- same verse, verse of the year in the message version goes like this. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off into the sidelines. And I like that version, too, because it just really shows us who should be the center of our lives as opposed to ourselves. And when it is ourselves, we become so self-centered and self-focused and self-reliant and all the things uh, that happen. So, so today we're going to be delving into this theme of, of self-centeredness, of self-reliance. I think it's just good old, plain, old, plain old-fashioned pride, if you will. We use them all together here. These are things that can steal a person of faith's identity. And in doing so, it can cause us to be misled into believing, and this is really important, that it's more about my efforts, what I can do, than it is about just the pure and simple grace of Almighty God. Just the pure and simple grace of Almighty God. Um, And I want to take you to a passage in the Bible that, um, that really deals with this this guy, he's a, he's a king, King Saul. Maybe you've heard of him. He's, he was the first king of Israel. And, and it, it, he starts off strong, and he doesn't finish so strong. And I talk about that phrase a lot. Those of you who come regularly hear me talk about the importance of finishing strong, and, and, and maybe that's my season of life and, and, and how important I see it now. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's important. He did not finish strong. But I want to really get you to capture you into into the person here, the character of Saul, and show you what happens, became the first king of of Israel, and and a whole lot of other stuff goes on here. So I want to just take you to that particular passage and show you how how, uh, this particular king and and the declension of his life and so forth, and how um, pride and self-reliance took him down. I want to introduce you to this guy Samuel first. Samuel is a prophet in the Old Testament. And we have a, we, I've mentioned this a few times if you come much. Um, we have a, what we call theocracy in the Old Testament. In other words, the, well, for our purposes, I'll say it this way. The clergy also ran the country. Okay? And which is, as I said many times, I'm, I'm, big, I'm a big fan of that. But, um, <laughs> but in this particular case, King, uh, the, the prophet is Samuel. And Samuel is getting old. <laughs> I was reading this. I just read this, I don't know, last night or this morning a commentary, kind of an obscure commentary that I don't always read, and I read it, and it said, well, Samuel was approaching the old age of 63. And I said, I don't like this commentary, and I threw it away. I said, I want that thing. And at this particular age, of course, that was old, this particular time. But he, and, he, and the people of Israel were really concerned. They just the, Historically, they just come out of a period of time where we have what we call the judges period. And that's when guys like Samson and Gideon, if you remember any of those names in the Old Testament, these were people who would be the judges or the rulers 
of Israel for just a period of time, sometimes 30 years, sometimes 50 years or whatever. And then the next judge, whoever basically was the strongest person, man or woman, Deborah had a woman, a woman judge as well. They had whoever the next person would come in and be the judge for a while. And, and they were up and down because some of the judges were really good. Some of the rulers were really good. Some of the rulers weren't so good. They were actually a lot more bad than they were good. So the people of Israel... They go to Samuel, sort of the spokesman for God and the head of the country, and they say, Samuel, can we have a real king? We have never had a real king. Of course, the first thing Samuel says is, well, God is supposed to be your king. And they say, well, yeah, we, we understand that. We really want a king. So right or wrong, Samuel said, okay, you will get a king. We will find you a king. By the way, side note to that is some people believe that one of the reasons they were concerned is they've been before, up to this time, they've been up and down and up and down depending on who the ruler was. And they all also knew that Samuel, as great of a man, of an Old Testament prophet as he was, he did not discipline his children very well. And his kids were... Um, a bunch of them. I mean, they were ruling in an area called Beersheba, which is down south in Israel, and and um, they were taking advantage of people. They were they were dishonest. They were immoral, and, and everybody knew that. I mean, you know, New York Post had stories all the time about them, or the equivalent thereof, and um, and so everybody knew that. So so they're saying basically, Samuel, we really need a good king. Or we're going to go back into being captive of Babylon or some other world power at the time. So Samuel acquiesces, and here's what he says. You can, you, can, you can have a king, and then in chapter 9, he talks to God. Samuel talks to God, and here's what God says. Chapter 9 of, uh, of 1 Samuel. Now the Lord told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy. And I've heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. I want you to really understand where this guy Saul, soon to be King Saul, is coming from. Watch his response. It's not one of arrogance. It's not of one of, look at me, elect me, I'm the best man for the job. It's none of that kind of stuff. Look what he says. Saul replied, verse 21, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin the smallest tribe in all of Israel. My family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? So Saul, I mean, this guy's this guy, true humility. And he's like, God, I, I, I'm at Samuel in this case, probably praying too, but he says to, to, to Samuel, I, I'm not worthy of this. You know, I come from some little town over here and so forth and so on. And I can, my family's we're not royal family. We're commoners. And uh, you ever heard that term used so much lately? And uh, it, it, none of that stuff. You know, I, and that's not me. Well, that was not the case. And Samuel said, you are the man. And God has going to appointed you as king. Watch what happens. Chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil. This was symbolic. This is what they would do in those days. Take a flask of, oil, of olive oil poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel. Israel, his special possession. He's now King Saul. So, okay, this has promise. We have a humble man who's going to be the king over God's people, over God's nation of Israel. Well, let me just show you a few little things in between. Chapter 10, next, a little further down in the chapter. About that time, 
The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, as Samuel talking to, to Saul, it will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, the prophets. You will be changed. Watch this. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go down to Gilgal. This is important. Listen carefully here. Then go down to Gilgal, town nearby. Ahead of me, I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. They're going to have a worship service because there's going to be a big battle after that against the Philistines, the, 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 one of the most common enemies of Israel of that time. So that's what's happening. He says, you're going to be a different person. You know, this is going to, you know, because of what God has done for you. So keep in mind what's going on here. We've got this humble man. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. We've got this humble man going on. He's, he's here, making it happen, you know? And, and, and all of a sudden then, he's like, okay, um, I'm king, and God's blessing him, and man, it's just really great. Now, watch what happens. There's a battle. I'm not going to read this to you. There's a battle. They win. They're getting ready for this next big battle that they're really concerned with, with these Philistines who continually tried to kind of like, um, I don't, I would, I'll stay away from names of today, but they, 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 their desire is basically, basically to drive Israel into the sea. They want to annihilate Israel, Philistines. So that's the next big battle. King Saul's worried. You know, here we go. So, Chapter 10, verse 6. I'm sorry, yeah, verse, verse 9 now. So as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. All Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at, Ge- uh, at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of the Lord, I'm going to say this, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Saul. The plot thickens. This guy is the real deal, folks. The Spirit of God is on him. He's being blessed. Okay, now watch what happens. Verse 7. I'm sorry. It's verse 7 of chapter 13. Let's get down a few chapters. Getting ready for this big battle. Remember now? Remember what he said earlier? Wait on me at Gilgal. Wait for seven days, and then we'll have the worship service. Now, let me stop and interject something here. It's very difficult to recognize this in our economy, but, but the prophet was the only one that could conduct a, a, a worship service of sacrifice at this particular time. It's not like, well, Rich didn't show up and somebody else isn't here. I'll give up and give the message today. Somebody needs to. We're not talking something like that. We're talking a huge deal. In that economy, you just don't do that. If it's, if it's Samuel or, or nobody. Keep that in mind as we watch this. Verse 7, chapter 13. Meanwhile, Saul stayed. King Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Big battle coming up. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, and Samuel still didn't come. Saul recognized, Saul realized that his troops, I just noticed some of the pronouns, realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. It is hard, I will repeat this, it's hard to communicate to you how bad that was. Let me, let, me, let me try. This, this doesn't hold up, and I realize it doesn't hold up in every, in every way, but let me just give you a modern-day example of, of how this could be perceived. Some of you are old enough to remember the day Ronald Reagan got shot. 
I remember it vividly. I, would, I had just started back to school and was studying for the ministry, and my wife and I and our three-year-old son had were taking a walk on a sunny afternoon, and uh, we got home and turned on the TV, and I just couldn't believe. And I'm a, I'm, Ronald Reagan's my favorite president other than Lincoln and Washington. And, um, and uh, I'll never forget it. Do you remember watching that on TV? Do you remember, do you remember Alexander Haig? And... Um, him saying, hey, I'm in charge. Don't worry about it. And of course, now we know historically it was just, it, he wasn't in charge. It was the most, uh, one of the biggest uh, sort of faux pas one could make, both on national TV and dealing with the Constitution and so forth. But it was kind of, and I, I've talked to a number of people over the years who say, boy, you know, when he did that, and it, 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 you know, it's kind of, it's kind of 101. I mean, that, that he, he was really not in charge, which is really why it's kind of humorous, although I don't want to throw him under the bus here. But, um, it was kind of like that, where all of a sudden, if you were watching that at that moment and you read about that, it's kind of like, boy, that's wrong. First of all, it's not true. He's not in charge. And B, to come and, 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 just come and say, oh, don't worry about it. I got, I got it under control. Okay. In a, in a very much, much more formal way. I don't know if that helps, and I hope it does. This is kind of what was happening here. King Saul was saying, hey, it's Okay. Samuel's going, I'll take over. Now, you say, oh, I'm not so, I'm not, I'm not that, that's okay. No, it, that was just, it was so wrong on so many levels. And he knew it. He knew it. But here's what happened. His troop, this is exactly, his troops started like, oh gosh, what's going to We're going to face the Philistines, we're all going to die. What's going to happen? Oh, I don't know. And King Saul's looking around, oh, where's Samuel? Where's Samuel? Where's Samuel? He's not here yet, do here any minute. He lost patience. He wanted to be in control, and he said, okay, okay, we're going to do a worship service. I'll just do it myself. Okay, total self-reliance. Whether you totally understand, just take my word, that was so wrong for him to do that, and everybody knew it at the time. So here's what I want you to see about this. By the way, verse 10, let me just read chapter 13, verse 10. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, watch, watch again. I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive, and when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to, give, to, ready to march against us, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. We say, well, that sounds pretty good. This is the King Saul version of Hubba, 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 hubba. I got to have an excuse here. He knew he was wrong. Samuel knew he was wrong. Everybody there knew he was wrong. He's got to come up with something else. So he starts talking. And what he said was good. It was just wrong. He's just making up stuff. No integrity here. I mean, it's been a few years, too. God's going to bless you. You're God's man. Me, 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 me. Boom. It's the bottom. Whenever, I tried to emphasize those, those, those pronouns, whenever we let I, me, and mine become the dominant theme in our lives, we are right on track of having our identity, which is to be grounded in who Christ is and what he has done for me. We're right on track of having that stolen. 
it would be a sad ending for King Saul. Watch what happens next because it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. He says, how foolish, back to verse 13, you, you, have, you have not kept the command the Lord gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out, a, watch that, has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul did not have a good ending to his life. He would live several more years. He's talking about King David here. It would be at least 18 to 20 years before King David would, would appear and be the king. Um, over that period of time, King Saul would try to kill him on number of, numbers of occasions. And, and in the end, King Saul died at his own hand. Started off so strong, finished so weak. French writer Balzac said, Many men nourish a pride which conquers, excuse me, which urges them to conceal their struggles and show themselves only as conquerors. Well, that was him, if there ever was one. Let me just tell you a couple things real quick, just to kind of make a couple applicational points that I want you to get grab out of here. Here's the thing. When we talk about pride and and, and this whole dominant thing, and this whole, this whole thing of being um, self-reliant, self-dominated. Very quick, two very quick points. When this happens, the sign, well, a couple of the signs of, of self-reliance in your life is when you think, now listen carefully to me, when you think you can in some way earn God's favor, when you think you can somehow earn God's favor in any way, it's a very subtle thing. Maybe it's by, by praying a certain prayer or praying a certain way or praying a little longer or reading certain things or reading all the way through the Bible. And listen, that sounds, you're saying, well, that sounds contradictory because I've heard you say many times you ought to make it a goal to read through the Bible in a year. I still believe that. But if you think that's going to get you God's greater approval, then you're wrong. There's a lot of good things that you can learn from reading the Bible and, and reading through the Bible in a year. But God's not going to love you more because he couldn't love you more. I've many times told the story for some of my friends around here, and maybe you, that you know, some people think that's a, sort of a, a litmus test. I'll never forget the guy in, in the last church where I pastored, and he was new, and he's trying to figure out who I was. And he said, how many times you read through the Bible? How many times you read through the Bible? I said, what? How many times you read through the Bible? I said, I have no idea. I'm, I'm pretty annoyed by this point, you know. And uh, I have no idea how many times I've read through the Bible. I read through the Bible four times. I said, well, God bless you. You know, that was his deal. That was his thing. I read through the Bible so many times, I got God's favor. You know, you can read the Bible every day, and you're not going to get any more of God's favor because he can't love you anymore. He already loves you as much as he possibly can. Again, don't take that illustration the wrong way. I do think it's important to read through the Bible. I think it's important to read the Bible. I think it's hugely important. And it'll do some great things in terms of just your, your mind and, and, and your spirit and, and especially in your relationship with Christ. But it's not going to bring you more favor because there's no way you can get more favor. Self-reliance tells me it's all about what I do. Grace tells me it's all about who I am and just trusting Christ. And you can't get around that. You know, it, it robs us. This, this whole thing of favor, of earning God's favor, robs us of our true identity of being the people of God who trust in grace and the undeserved blessings of God, because that's what we are to do. And it causes us to, it causes us really to live out our life 
of actually believing we can trust in something, good works, good deeds, whatever, we can trust in something other than Christ. And that, that's a total lack of fulfillment. If you're trusting in anything but the Lord God Almighty, let me assure you, you will be, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but you will be disappointed. So that's the first thing. You think you can earn God's favor somehow is one of the signs that you're just too self-reliant. Second thing, very quickly, is your world becomes, one of the other one, your world becomes strictly about you. And here's what I mean by that. Now, obviously, my world's about me. Your world's about you. But, but I hope it goes beyond that. I hope that you have, this is going to sound really weird, I hope you have some angst in your life that's not just about you and yours, but it's about others. Because one of the signs we're totally self-reliant is when, when, when all we're really concerned about is, well, gee, if the rapture happens, how's that going to affect me, you know? Or, gee, if that person dies, how's that going to affect me? This, this is the whole thing here. This, your world is about you and you alone, and maybe you and your family or something, uh, when we are one of the signs of this total self-reliance. It causes us, you know, it, and that's part of the deal. It steals our identity because it deceitfully causes us to think we're the basic sum total of the whole universe. Then causes us to be centered on ourselves, our broken, petty, fault-finding selves, which once again bring us nothing but emptiness, vanity, and a bunch of other side effects that are all negative that are the result of self-reliance. The Bible makes it very clear for us. Let me close with this last verse in the Bible. He has shown you, He has shown all you people what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Three things, to act justly, be fair, to love mercy, be merciful, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not rocket science. <laughs> it's not even brain surgery. <laughs> but it's true. He has shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are amazingly grateful for the opportunity that we have to sit here, stand here, think about who you are and what you have done for us. God, keep us from being self-reliant, miserable sluggards because we all can go there so easily. It doesn't take much. We can all start that. We talk about King Saul. We can all start that road south so quick. We start thinking about, I, I want to be in control. I want to do this. I want to do that. My patience has run out. This should have happened by now. God, give us all that we need to be able to live in such a way that we will be people who are reliant upon you. And our hearts, our lives, and our actions show that. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.